Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Stephen Guy. I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we're talking about don't follow this advice. So we're very pleased to be joined by April Hestelow. April, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. And you join us from Catalyst Financial. And we are going to talk about a time when an accountant gave one of your investors some unbelievably bad advice. Now, what was the situation? I had some investors who, lovely clients who I'd been helping since they bought their first property, and they had gone unconditional on a turnkey in Christchurch, and they were waiting for settlement, and they went and saw their accountant. Okay, so they've put a new build property under contract as an investment? Absolutely. So that's busy getting built 12 months, and... So they've only paid a deposit at this stage. At the moment, only 10%. They wanted to take advantage of all of the equity that they'd created in their own home. Okay, so they go and see their accountant. Absolutely. So what happened, we have Sophie and Blair, and Blair's a tradie. He has an accountant, a lot of trust in his accountant. And he was talking to him about what it was that he was looking to do and that they'd, they'd put this turnkey under contract and what their future plans were with it. And the accountant as a trusted advisor was a little bit miffed at not being involved in the investment to start with and also was giving them some advice around both that and also what Sophie was looking to do in the future. What was she looking to do? Well, she's a beautician, has been working, you know, salaried. I know someone who could use her help. (laughs) Why are you looking at me when you say that? There's nothing wrong with my eyebrows. Carry on. And so she had a dream of starting her own beauty therapy. And actually, she was looking at leases and what she was going to do there. She wanted to run her own show. So she was going to go from having a job, regular income, to being self-employed. Yes. A dream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what, what did the accountant say in terms of that, what she was looking to do there? Just to go for it. To follow her dreams. She already had her finance approval. The turnkey was being built. Go start her own self-employed business and that in six months' time, he would make sure, roughly when the turnkey was due to settle, that he'd have her financials and her partners looking good enough that they would be able to get the lending. But how was she going to get clients? Hadn't figured that out at that stage. And so why is this not just bad advice but dangerous advice? Well, firstly, because mortgage policies change so often that even mortgage advisors are you know, you see in the market struggling to keep up. So the fact that you've got an accountant who doesn't deal with mortgages at all, giving advice on how to get approvals is the first major red flag. The second thing is that for most self-employed, especially when they're not buying an existing going concern, have to have two years of business financials available so that the bank can see how trading is going and what income could be used for that. And if you have a brand new business, Not only do they not have history, but they tend to have a significant amount of costs. So let me walk through this as well. They had an approval from the bank so they could settle on that new build. But one of the conditions of that will obviously be that nothing materially changes within their financial situation. And giving up your steady salary to start a business that will have quite low revenue at the start and quite high costs, I'm guessing that's going to break the conditions of that approval. Yes, absolutely. And when you start a business, you start being a director of something in the company's office, which is publicly available information and something that the banks will run with a credit check as well. Okay. So what is the worst case scenario then? So they walk away from that. What's going to happen to them? So what? So we hit the point that these investors have to prove to the bank that they can afford the level of debt that they're going to be put in. The bank will now assess them 
on today's policies and today's test rates, which are vastly different to what they were when the initial approval was done. And the bank can, and in this instance, did say no. Okay, so that's interesting. So when they initially got the approval, they were being tested at, say, 6.5%. That's what the bank was running the numbers on. Now, I know ANZ's up over 8%. I think we did a private property that was up at 8.15% last time. From memory, it might have been slightly higher. So even if nothing materially changed in their situation, they might not be able to get the lending across the line at today's interest rates. Potentially, I don't know their situation. Yeah, absolutely. And so the banks, when there's a 12-month approval in place, the banks actually don't reassess during that time on the policy changes that they're making. They're only having to reassess if we hit the 12 months or if there's been a really fundamental change to a client's position. Which, in this case, there has. So what bad things happen if the investor listens to the accountant and follows this advice? They lose their bank approval. It's incredibly stressful. I mean, the person that wins most of all out of it is the accountant who then ends up running interim financials, who ends up running projections, who ends up having to try, we have to try and quantify the income in some way, shape or form to get any form of lending that we can. And if it's not main bank, you're losing the good interest rates, you're losing the cash contributions, potentially the interest only. Yeah. And if you don't settle, you potentially lose your deposit, which, you know, that's 10% of the purchase price. That could be $60,000. And how much deposit, speaking of that, how much deposit had they put down on that property? 65000 So potentially could lose sixty-five grand. On top of that, not only could you lose your deposit, but if you don't settle, the developer can go after you for damages, right, Andrew? Correct. So say the developer on-sells that property and the market's changed, they can only get, say, five fifty. So now there's a loss to the developer over and above the deposit, plus there might be late settlement fees, legal fees for getting you out of that contract. There could be an extra, I don't know, forty, fifty thousand dollars that they come after you for as well. Now, does that always happen? No, not. Uh, it doesn't happen a huge amount, but it absolutely can happen by law. And do you know what? This is actually one of the dangers. Can I say this, Andrew? I'm going to say it. You stop me if I can't. It is one of the dangers of following accountants' advice because this accountant is not qualified to give mortgage advice, but it has been trying to in this case. But unfortunately, the way the laws are setting up. Accountants have an exemption, so it's not that they are licensed to give financial advice, but if they do and it turns out poorly, they've got an exemption where you can't go after them. Correct, them and solicitors. So this is where you've got to be so, so careful who you're listening to for advice. And I get that people have a trust in their accountant or their solicitor, especially if they've gone through some transactions with them before, you know, anyone that's used a solicitor for a separation or something and feels like they won in that or someone that's bought a business thinks that, oh yeah, the accountant did a good job for that. Yeah, but they might not necessarily be experts in property investment. And this is where you've got to be so, so careful because the stakes are high. I've got a friend, Billy McLaughlin, a bit of a friend of the show, and he always says, don't get property advice from an accountant. Get accounting advice from an accountant. Get property advice from a property advisor. And April, why do you reckon the accountant gave bad advice? Where were they coming from? I think first, They felt that they knew my investors and they felt like they were in a position that they might be able to help. And maybe when things weren't moving so quickly in the world, they could have been able to. They told my clients not to tell me that they'd left their job. Wait, what? Yeah, to me that indicates a little bit. Yeah, okay. So they, they wanted you not to know, so therefore you weren't obliged to tell the bank because if you do know, you have to tell the bank. But then, of course... You're going to find out. You're going to potentially find out or it's going to come up and then it just looks bad, right? 
Well, the bank definitely found out when the business banking accounts were opened with them. Oh, they didn't even do it with a different bank. Edward, not that we're saying you could do that. Did the accountant set up those bank accounts? No, he didn't. And look, so while Hart may have been in the right place, the knowledge of what was going on for their overall position and for what the bank's policies were was just not there. This is some of the very simple stuff that you might, oh, I'll just go open up those business accounts with the good old banker down at the local ANZ or whatever bank it was, I'm just making it up. And then all of a sudden, oh, well, you did that. So that triggered the bank to understand that you do, that something has changed in your portfolio or in your financial situation. And now you've got some explaining to do. It's even things like triggering your note on your credit check that says you're a director of a company. So I remember when I was a broker, I had an investor who had a side hustle, which they didn't disclose to the bank. And the reason they didn't disclose it is because it didn't make any money. Problem is it not only didn't make any money, it made a loss. So when we got the approval through and then the bank figured out, oh, hang on a minute, they've got this business, well, the business made a 20 grand loss, that had to come off their income for servicing. Terrible. Not good. So this investor did leave her job though and she did, in the end, try and start this business. So what's the game plan to try and get them to settle this house? Or what are they going to do? Because they're still committed to buying the thing. Absolutely. So we did have the backup option of potentially trying to nominate or to walk away from the deposit. And it, But in this instance, we were able to get enough time passed so that the property was delayed slightly. So that allowed for a little bit of time to be running. We hit the six months. We were able to get enough information from our friend, the accountant, for the business to be able to use a non-bank lender. So in this instance, we were using Basecorp. And we ended up at a 1.5% fee. So in an environment where we're seeing a 1% cash back from main banks, we actually had a 1.5% fee. So they're 2% behind. Yep. And then we also had a 9.5% interest rate on it. And until we can show the financials available to main bank and have the income there. So they're paying about three percentage points more in interest. So about... 50% more interest than they otherwise would in a very high interest rate environment already. And on top of that, if you're telling me it's a... So they're 5% worse off. Yeah, and we're talking about a $585,000 loan if we're saying it's 90%. Multiply that by 1.5%. They're paying almost nine grand in fees at the outset to get that lending. 18 grand lost up front. Well, it's not slightly less than that. It's 2.5% because it's 1.5% fee plus a 1% cash back missed out on. But it's a significant amount of money. It might have been, say, 15 grand that they've lost out on. And then on top of that, if we're talking about that again, they're going to be paying an extra 15 to 20 grand in interest over and above what they otherwise would have paid. So we're talking about this accountant has cost them in the region in the first year of about $30,000 because of that bad advice. And that's going to continue until they have two years of financials for the main banks and can refinance away. That's exactly right. And if they hadn't had the other 10% set up as a revolving credit limit available to them, they would have had to refinance their owner-occupier and that lending at a higher rate as well. So it would have hurt even more. This is outrageous. Who was the accountant? I don't want to be sued. <laughs> that is, she hasn't fully fitted in here yet. <laughs> name and shame. No, that is quite honestly quite outrageous. I'm appalled that these investors are 30 grand in the red because somebody in a position of trust gave them bad advice knowing they know that they're not qualified to give mortgage advice. Well, yeah, yeah but here's the problem. 
they are very good with numbers and they assume, yeah, well, I've, I've seen investors do this and I've seen this happen. People get blinded by their experience and that's why you need to use a mortgage broker that sees so many different situations or you use a property advisor that's seen so many different situations. The number of times I hear from an investor that, oh, well, so-and-so told me this. Yeah, that might be absolutely fine for that person, but not necessarily for you. And that's why you've got to choose your professionals specific to what the advice is you're looking for. Did the accountant make out that it was your fault? Smart enough not to do that. (laughs) (laughs) But I may have texted a variety of professionals that I know going, hey, what would you say to an accountant who had given this advice and then taken their names out and screenshot the mostly swear words that were coming back on that? So, yeah. Okay. And lastly, how do people then know who to get advice from? Because, you know, these people are trusted, they're good with numbers. How do you know who to trust and who not to? I think the biggest key is just making sure that all of the financial advisors who are working with you and all of the professionals have all of the information, that no one's hiding anything from anyone else or anything like that, so everyone can be working together on what the overall picture is without anybody being blindsided. And everyone needs to stay in their lane and communicate with each other, I think. And when you say stay in your lane, you're talking about staying within the scope of advice. So mortgage advisors give advice on mortgages, insurance advisors give advice on insurance, accountants on accounting. Right, let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you want to learn more, check out our YouTube channel. Either hit that subscribe button or what about your phone? Google Obus Partners YouTube. Great content on there. We release new videos every Monday and Wednesday. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Tim McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of your Until next time, bye.